Good morning, I'm Maya Wimala, and today is Friday, December 3rd. We had a beautiful, clear, sunny day yesterday, and today it's not very cold, but it's definitely overcast, so that sunshine is not here. But that's okay. We work with what we have. Today, in addition to sitting together, I wanted to read again from the book Wisdom is Bliss for friendly, fun facts that can change your life. And it's by Robert Thurman, who's a very serious scholar uh, in the Tibetan tradition. So I love that he has such a (laughs) funny uh, subtitle for his book. We were talking about... uh, his chapters on realistic mindfulness and I wanted to go back and read the first few pages of this chapter because I think I'm really intrigued with realistic mindfulness and it's uh, so what does he mean by realistic mindfulness but I like what he has to say again it's a little bit of a different approach a different angle to it than we may take in our tradition so I think it's good to, to uh, you know, investigate all around. We might be, there might be something that, the way he says it, from his background, uh, it m- makes a lot of sense and seems very clear when something else might not. So this is just reading from Robert Thurman's book. It's Chapter 8, Realistic Mindfulness. And we'll just read uh, a few pages of it. Chapter 8, Realistic Mindfulness. The super-education in mind begins when your creativity flows inward into the subtlest recesses of your mind. This can be called mindfulness, forms of which have become extraordinarily popular around the world. The English mindfulness comes from the Sanskrit shmirti, which in Pali is sati which actually means memory. Among the eight branches of the path, the Eightfold Path, it is the seventh, the beginning of the third super-education, the super-education in concentration, samadhi, or mind, citta. When he says super-education, I think we often call that the supra-mundane path when when we're working the Eightfold Path uh, beyond just living a happy existence, but uh, into our spiritual liberation. Okay, it's the seventh, the beginning of the third, super-education, the super-education in concentration, samadhi, or mind, which is citta. And those are both also Pali words. Realistic remembering and realistic concentration make up that third super-education with what we discussed in the last chapter, realistic creativity as a spark. Together they parallel the fifth of the six transcendent virtues, contemplation, which partners with the sixth and most important transcendent virtue, wisdom. The transformative intellectual wisdom attained by analytic meditation, 
which is he's called, that's how he's defining vipassana, uh, which is insight. He's he's calling it analytic meditation. Cannot drill down far enough to change unconscious, misknowing habit patterns without the energy focusing of concentration, contemplation, non-discursive meditation, or realization. And that he's describing as samatha. Usually our constant stream of remembering get stuck in the past as we go into reveries in our memories of what happened to us at this or that time. And the same type of mental scattering occurs in anticipating things, where we imagine things that might happen in the future. We remember the future. When we take focus away from remembering the past and anticipating the future, we can remember to be more and more aware and mindful of what is going on in the present. When we do this, indeed, we can gradually become lucidly aware. To look at it from a different perspective, we use the term lucid dreaming. When we have learned to be self-aware during dreams without waking up, when we gain skill in mindful awareness during our waking hours, We are developing lucid waking, finding much more vivid detail in every moment. If we take stock of how we spend our time doing things while our mind multitasks and thinks about other things, scattering itself around, we are hardly aware of what we're actually doing in the moment. That could be called mindless waking or sleep waking. There are traditionally four focuses of mindfulness of remembering the present. One, remembering the body. Two, remembering the physical and mental sensations. Three, remembering the mind. And four, remembering mental objects. You can practice a first round just to become aware of them without looking right away at their nature. Once you become lucid about what is there, you discover that the body is funky, the sensations are mostly stressful, the mind is ever-changing and actually unfindable, and mental objects are coreless, unsubstantial, illusory, and relative. Realistic mindfulness constantly looks realistically with the inner eye at body, sensations, mind, and objects. Popularly in the West, people think of mindfulness as being mainly one aspect of the mindfulness of the body, which is mindfulness of the breath, breath being considered the bridge between mind and body. So when you first do mindfulness practice, you get a little nervous because you realize there's a whole cacophony going on inside your mind. But then one you get to then but then once you get to see it more comprehensively and you can move around among your thoughts, you develop a little bit of critical awareness and you can change channels. You have a sort of clicker. 
You finally get a remote control in your own mind and you can click from one channel to another. You can look at it from another angle and get another perspective on it. And you can be more free about your reactivity. When someone presses your button, you can either react or not react. Because you're not a slave of that thought, you can shift away from it. Mindfulness is a technique developed by centuries of mind science in practice. The most important thing determining the quality of your life is your mind and your own ability to master your mind. You can be in the best environment and something bothers you emotionally and you're miserable. You can be pretty happy even in adversity. Mindfulness gives you a much bigger range of choice and an ability to create gaps and pause your reactions so you can choose to move this way or that way. It's really very important. So that's the, the ability to choose that those responses to become responsive instead of reactive. One practice is to heighten awareness of the inner complexity that normally functions automatically, the workings of the body, for example. This is how most people who get into mindfulness do it, performing a non-judgmental inner opening of awareness as to what is actually going on inside the body and mind. The natural deeper step of critically seeing through your body's pseudo-purity, your mental sensations pseudo-pleasantness, your seemingly static, ego-centered mind's pseudo-static fixity, and your pseudo-solid objects of mental experience happens when you go beyond the soothing calm of non-judgmental awareness and become lucid and naturally begin to transform. This is a deep meditation in which the insights from learning and critical investigation are ready to be catapulted by somatic total concentration to lift you out of the coarse body-mind world into the subtle space of natural reality bliss. Buddha's psychological science starts from the second noble truth, or friendly fact, which focuses on the diagnosis of the cause of suffering, misknowing ignorance. Misknowing ignorance causes unwake beings to imagine their selves and their worlds as being other than what they truly are. Such beings, I still am somewhat one of them, so don't feel put down. Such beings are like the hero Neo in, uh, Neo in the film The Matrix, who thinks he is a certain body running around in a certain world when he is caused to remember to become self-aware as awakened by technical intervention, he realizes that he is actually an unconscious, dream-trapped, embryo-like grown-up, trapped in a slimy test-tube prison. Luckily, his already awake, revolutionary new friends save him as his body gets flushed out to die in a sewer due to his crime of having become unmanageably self-aware. 
This is a beautiful illustration of the initial awakening from misknowing into the gradual learning of mindful knowing. Once you misknow yourself as an alienated, separate being, surrounded by the misknown immensity of an absolutely other world, you crave to lose that separateness by uniting with that world. This may not look like you are swallowing it as much as possible or being swallowed totally by it, lust driving you to avoid alienation and fear driving you to avoid contact. At the same time, you may fear both not being able to swallow it all and also being swallowed by it. So you rage against it and lose yourself in hatred, anger, and aggression. The original misknowing of the separation, of course, is the root of both the lust and the hate. When the fully awakened Prince Siddhartha became Shakyamuni Buddha, and taught his first human disciples, his five former self-mortifying yogic companions, he emphasized lustful craving as the cause of suffering in order to shock them. They thought they were torturing themselves to get rid of craving, but they were actually doing the opposite, craving escape from reality, seeking a separate state of being by retreating into the illusory to the illusory experience of the totally misknown, misimagined, static, separate, absolute self thought to be disconnected from the bothersome, relative world. When Siddhartha attained enlightenment, he lightened up, felt both body and mind to be really well. To be precise, he became Nibbana, all free, all bliss, all the time, everywhere, as everything. He did not fail to be himself. He just came to know what he had really been all the time. He expanded from identifying himself as a static self, separate from all time and space, full of beings and things, to identifying himself as still himself, astonishingly, just forever completely one with the whole time and space, full of beings and things. That is to say, although this was inconceivable in normal terms, he came to be all other beings and things just as much to continuing to be himself. As soon as he found that to be who he really was, he recognized that it was not as if he had changed from one thing into another. He simply came to know what he had always been. His sense of himself is separate, a piece of live physicality, separate from its environment and other beings with a separate self-essence, somehow contained within that physicality, was mistaken. It was ignorance, misknowledge. Once knowledge cleared away misknowing's hold over his awareness, he could simultaneously remember how he felt under misknowledge, realizing how it had always been an illusion, and also know and enjoy that the bliss of relief had always been who he really was. 
He realized that he had always been enjoying it as his actual nature, while his mind was kept unconscious of the fact by habitual misknowing. I know this is impossible to realize two opposite things as once, which is why Nibbana is said to be inconceivable and inexpressible beyond words. It is sustaining awareness that embraces extreme cognitive dissonance with a blissful ease. And I'm going to stop there because it's, this is very interesting, but uh, I want to, us to be able to practice a bit. So he's really, I think, I think it's uh, great writing. This is very understandable. Uh, so I think very interesting. I like the way he writes. So I think we'll keep reading a little bit in this chapter. So why don't we sit now and just uh, just be, just go in, inwards a little bit and just be with the body, remembering the body, the mind, how we feel. So the four fun facts that he's talking about are the four noble truths. And in this chapter, he's talking too about uh, what mindfulness really is. And I'm so glad he's talking about it being about memory and remembering. Because we often talk about it as being in the present moment, which makes it seem uh, like we're, we're not remembering anything. We're just in the moment. So when we focus our the four focuses of mindfulness, which we find in the Pali Canon as well, are the same. Remembering the present, remembering the body, remembering the physical and mental sensations, remembering the mind, and remembering all mental objects. So just Become aware of the body breathing. Let your body be relaxed. Just stay with your breath for a bit. Remembering in the present moment. Our awareness of the body is in this moment. our body, our thoughts, our feelings. And everything else we find in our minds.
Let everything just calm down, settle down. Let your mind become a clear, still pond. Let your mind just drop down into your body. Not, not see it as a separate part. Just allow yourself to feel the connections you have with all other living beings.
let go of the feeling of being a separate entity, isolated. So let that go. Feel the connections. Now as we end our time together, if you can continue practicing for even a few more minutes, I encourage you to do that. May all of us, all of you, all beings be well and happy and peaceful. May everything we do and think and say today be not only beneficial for us but for all other living beings. Have a beautiful weekend, and uh, Sunday morning I'll be, be here. Hope you can join me. Thank you.